I ever tell you about my greatest flop? Hello and welcome to Basket Bubble, a podcast about the NBA and life inside the Walt Disney World bubble. My name is Matthew Moore, and I am joined, as always, by my beloved co-host, the can't-give-up-won't-give-up Denver Nuggets to my Los Angeles Clippers, Andrew Bodenbach. Bodie, how are you doing today? What's up, Matthew? How are you? I'm doing well. Good to hear from you, man. We are going to go ahead and get started with the news here. Last week, we talked about some major coaching moves, coaching vacancies going on throughout the NBA And in the last week, we have two more that have been confirmed. We have Billy Donovan, who was with the Oklahoma City Thunder, has decided to part ways, is the way that it's being worded. Not necessarily fired. Sounds like it was a fairly mutual agreement there. And we also have Mike D'Antoni from the Houston Rockets also agreeing not to extend his contract. So, Bodie, it sounds like these guys are still going to be coaching in the NBA, but with different colors on their shirts next year. What do we think as far as Billy Donovan goes next year? The Billy Donovan thing really seemed to come down to the Thunder are going to go in a new direction. They outperformed what anybody thought they were going to do this year, and Donovan was a big part of that. But they probably reached their limit on what they could with this team and it really was just going to be treading water so they're they're going to look to trade chris paul they're going to look to get younger and build this team sort of from scratch and that's not what billy donovan is interested in which is perfectly understandable and may not be what he really thinks he's suited for either i i don't know about that part but by all accounts it really seems like he and the organization were on the same page here. Bodie, you and I are more or less the same age. And, and when I think of Billy Donovan, I think of his outstanding career with the University of Florida college basketball team. And uh, it seems to me that he excels the best with young, slightly underrated players. We think of, you know, Joachim Noah, Al Horford, Corey Brewer, those kind of guys who were strange players in in relatively traditional college basketball world. I've heard some rumblings that Billy Donovan may be making his way to Chicago, which seems like if you're looking at it from that perspective of a young kind of underrated non-traditional team, maybe a good fit. What do you think about that? It's possible. As far as Chicago, definitely possible. As far as what he is suited for, I, as I was saying my last thing, I thought, wait a second. He won two titles at Florida. That kind of goes against what I was saying. But we've seen players in college who are good one way come into the league and they find out that they're better at doing different things, better at playing a different style. And I wonder if Billy Donovan thinks he's better in a different way than he was back at back at Florida. I really don't know. I, those Florida teams, we think back on them as these, I mean, just powerhouse teams. But that first Florida team was, they came out of nowhere. The second Florida team was, I mean, it, that was 
like the Golden State Warriors of 2016 coming back. I mean, that, that's really what it was. They were all these veteran stud players that just went out and took care of business. And Donovan's first team in the NBA was a Thunder team that had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka. It was, I mean, they were up three games to one on the Warriors. It wasn't a young upstart kind of team. And what happened with that Thunder team? Yeah, but they were up three games to one. So I really don't know with Billy what he wants to do other than he just didn't want to be in this situation going forward. Well, when we look at Mike D'Antoni, the Houston Rockets in general, especially with general manager Daryl Morey, he has kind of been touted as the, the money ball version of basketball. He is always looking for unique and non-traditional ways to make the best team he can with the least amount of money that he can. Although the least amount of money he can, he kind of failed at with the Westbrook and Harden contracts. But when we look at a traditional basketball team, we're usually looking at one player in the six foot eleven, seven foot range. And the Houston Rockets have totally gone away from that with the departure of Capella earlier this season. Do we think two questions for you? One, do we think Houston is going to keep trying to do this weird, strange, small ball thing with the absence of Mike D'Antoni? And two, where do we think D'Antoni is looking to go? And, and do you think that he keeps up with this strange style of basketball that he put out in Houston? So I think the answer to the first question comes down to the owner. Actually, Tillman Fertitta bought that team recently. He's a interesting fellow by all accounts. And we actually don't know how much money the guy has. He owns a bunch of restaurants and everything that um, it's not a good business right now for anybody. And he took out a nasty loan, just a horribly nasty loan. So we really don't know how flush he or the Rockets are. But he wanted Russell Westbrook. James Harden wanted Russell Westbrook. It doesn't sound like Daryl Morey really wanted him. It doesn't sound like Dan Tony necessarily wanted him. So who's running the team? Is it for Tita or is it Daryl Morey? Will Morey be back? That's another question. I would think he would be, but the whole China incident from the start of the season, which was really like a year ago now, the season is so long now. I think it was a year ago during the world championships. That's a whole nother issue that could determine this Rockets future. So I am putting no bets on anything with the Rockets. I, I never wanted to in the first place as far as just, will they win this game? But their future, it, it's kind of like their team, unconventional and completely unpredictable. Second question was, where does D'Antoni end up? Is that, that what you said? Yes. Uh, it seems to be that New Orleans likes him or he likes New Orleans, something like that, which would make sense. Young team with a lot of guys who can get up and down the court, a franchise cornerstone and Zion Williamson. It's just the kind of team that he has traditionally been with. The Phoenix Suns with Nash and Amari, the Rockets with Harden and Dwight Howard and then Capella and it just sounds right. It, it, Yeah, it sounds completely right. Whether that means it'll happen is up to the NBA fates, which 
can be screwy. On Wikipedia, one of my favorite things I'm reading about Mike D'Antoni is during his playing career in Italy, Mike D'Antoni earned the nickname Il Baffo, which is Italian for the mustache. There we go. He's kept it. <laughs> He's kept, he should. It's a good looking mustache. Moving on to some series analysis. We are recording at about 5.30 on Sunday evening. Earlier today, we saw the Los Angeles Clippers and the Denver Nuggets play in game six of that series. And Bodie, the Nuggets keep refusing to get eliminated. Uh, the Nuggets are the first team in NBA history with three 15-point comebacks when facing elimination in a postseason. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are looking like the 2020 version of John Stockton and Carl Malone in a lot of ways. This team is a very intriguing team to watch. And I remember you saying last week that you do not respect Denver maybe as much as you ought to. Uh, what are you thinking as far as this series so far, Bodie? If you didn't bring that up, I was going to bring that up because <laughs> I defend what I said at the time. At the time, Denver hadn't shown us what we wanted them to show us. Going back to last year, taking seven games in the first round as the two seed and then losing the second round in seven games and just never looking great. Then this year, having to come back from three games to one in the first round to beat a jazz team that wasn't at full strength and then being down three games to one in this series. Now it feels like something switched and maybe that's just us or me specifically, just I'm going with the whims of what's going on, but there is a toughness and an edge that I never thought that they had. I never thought that they could get to a game seven against the Clippers and I really never thought they could do it by coming back in multiple games facing elimination down 15 points. It just, it never would have crossed my mind as a possibility. And yet they keep doing it. It's been interesting to watch this Nuggets team. One player who has gotten a lot of ink bled for him has been Michael Porter Jr. Earlier in the series, it seemed like he was calling out Malone and saying, well, if you had given me the ball more, maybe we wouldn't be in this place. And and there was a lot of folks who were saying, kid, what the hell do you think you're doing? You're, you're playing a phenomenal team in the Los Angeles Clippers, and you're mad that you're not getting more touches. And in these last two games, he has kind of done a little bit of work to support the smack that he's talking. What are you seeing when you look at a guy like Michael Porter Jr. playing these Clippers? He's figured out what he's supposed to do i he he he's right first of all and they were relying too much on murray and Jokic. and murray has never been a guy that has shown us he can do what he did in that utah series game after game after game when it's bad for murray it's really bad the nuggets are at their best when they're using Murray and playing through Jokic, but everybody's getting their own chances. And that includes somebody like Michael Porter Jr., who is potentially a number one scoring guy on a team in the future. It was game five, I believe, that they were down 3-1. And he went for, let me pull up the box score to be sure. 
he only went for seven points in that game and he only took three shots total. So probably not as much as he wanted to, but he hit a big three in the fourth quarter, just an absolute monster of a three and then got a, a block on the defensive end, which is the end that he has not shown like any skill at all. Or interest in. Or interest in. Yeah, interest <laughs> more than skill. He has the skill. He just showed no interest in. And he decided he was going to get the biggest block of the Nuggets season there and potentially save their season. He didn't get what he wanted necessarily, but he did what he needed to do. And that was the moment where it was like, oh, maybe this guy is going to be what we want to be. He, I mean, he's a rookie. He's or second year. He's a rookie officially. He didn't play last year. That's it. That's what it is then. Yeah. So he's incredibly young and that block might could end up being an anomaly, but though that's the kind of moment where it's like, oh yeah, that's where a guy took a step up. Well, when we look on the other side of the court, we see the Los Angeles Clippers who have been the favorite to be the NBA champion at the end of this finals. And we are just seeing, as Twitter likes to say, the Clippers are being the Clippers. <laughs> they are oh, they have an zero and six record with chances to clinch conference finals appearances, and it just seems like we're not seeing the tenacity, the the determination, the will to really put this Denver Nuggets team down. They have had double-digit leads in nearly all of these games. And come the third quarter, these Clippers just pack it in and they quit playing. Why Why are we seeing this from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell who are just standing around and not playing basketball in the second half of these games? To steal something from Bill Simmons, they don't know who they are. This is their first year together. Some of these guys were on the team last year, but Paul George was not on it, and Kawhi's not on it. And when those two guys come in, it's a different team. It's a, Yeah, everything changes. And they did not play together a lot as a full team during the year because of injuries or load management. You have, but can you the, make that? Ar- I mean, I I feel like that's a cop out. That's that's a terrible argument. You you could say that about the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat have not played with the roster that they're playing with right now. With without you know Kendrick Nunn, without some of their key guys, and I I just think that that's a that's a dumb excuse. That if you can't if you can't clinch as a good team against the Denver Nuggets team, who is certainly not the better team, like be better. <laughs> I I don't disagree. I this brings me to two more points. Paul George has a history of this. Mm. Paul George does have a history of not being able to finish things. And by all accounts, he played well today. The numbers bear that out. It didn't seem like he had much of anything in that fourth quarter, though. I remember he hit a three, but you look out there and there are times where it's like, oh, Paul George is on the court. I don't remember seeing him for the last few minutes, but he is on the court. Kawhi's never like that. Kawhi, you always know you, you always know where he is offensively and defensively. He's just one of those guys. Paul George can disappear. Back to that original point, because it ties into the third point, the Clippers don't necessarily know who they are 
but the Nuggets do. They have been in these situations before as a team. This will be their fourth game seven in the last two playoffs. They know how to play these games. They know who each other is in each situation. The Clippers don't. The The Clippers don't know that type of pressure yet as a collective unit. As individuals, a few of them have been there, but not, not as this unit. As far as the Heat, I think it will be interesting to see what happens in the next round if they are down two games to one and have to win a game in the last three minutes with their season on the line. We just we haven't seen it from them yet, and they're relying on a bunch of young guys. It's easy to play great when you're cruising and when you're ahead. It may not be when they're trying to clinch a chance to go to the NBA Finals or their season is on the line. I have, for probably this whole season, just personally been the guy standing on the corner saying, the Los Angeles Clippers are a little overrated. And not because I don't like Kawhi Leonard. I think Kawhi Leonard is a fantastic player. But there's just, I feel like you have Kawhi Leonard and you have Paul George and you have an entire roster full of sixth man of the year guys and nobody really knows how to be the player who knows their role in the group. You know what I mean? You're right. And I think that goes to that they didn't play a lot together during the season. I, I really do think that as much as you poo-poo it, <laughs> I, I think it's hard to form a five-man group when they don't play a lot of games. And we look at the game totals of guys, and granted the season was cut short, but we had what we had played 65 games or so, I believe. Paul George played 48. Uh, Marcus Morris, who is one of their finishing five, played 19 games with the team. Reggie Jackson, who is playing a bunch of minutes, played 17 games. Kawhi played 57. It looks like the Clippers played like 72 games or something like that. Kawhi played 57. And not all those games, these guys were together. It's just hard to know who you to know who you are and the whole time this year it has been the clippers are going to figure it out because they have the most talent they have the most guys who are good at this that's not necessarily how basketball works yeah i was gonna say i think it just really shows you the difference between having a good team and having good team chemistry and I think knowing who you can depend on and who, when you come out on the floor and you say, you know, if, if this whole play falls to shit, I know that I can depend on this guy to be standing in the corner, ready to take that corner three. And I, I think, I mean, as much as I do poo-poo it, I think there is some legitimacy too. They haven't played together enough to really have that chemistry. When we look at, so game seven of this series is happening on Tuesday. Do you think... The Nuggets are the ones with the pressure on them, or is it the Clippers? It's the Clippers, because they should win. I think they will win. They better win for their their sake and the franchise future's sake with all that they gave up to get this team that they have. They have all the pressure. They, they do. 
The other game in the Western Conference was the Los Angeles Lakers and the Houston Rockets, and it was a snooze fest <laughs> there towards the end of the series. I saw several times where Russell Westbrook was perched on the three-point line, and there wasn't a Lakers jersey within a 70-mile radius of that man. And he, rightfully so, had no one around him. It's like there was a bubble around him, huh? <laughs> and he couldn't hit a shot. He... Man, this this Rockets team, you know, it's one of those things where it's a really cool experiment and then the experiment goes on a little bit too long and the wheels start to fall off and everything starts to collapse and you start to wonder, did we take this just a little bit too far? And I think that's really what we saw with this Houston Rockets team on top of the fact that the Los Angeles Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who are the first teammates to average 25 points and 10 rebounds a game since, like, Dolph Shays and some other old white guy in the 60s. Like, this is such a phenomenal team the Los Angeles Lakers have. I don't think the Rockets would have won the series had they been who they were with Capella. They didn't think they could win, so I applaud them for taking the risk for I mean, they continuously push all their chips to the center of the table and then when you think oh they don't have any more chips they somehow have a bunch more chips and they just keep doing it over and over again this was more unsuccessful than a lot of their other tries but that doesn't mean it was wrong either this lakers team's just good they're they're just really really good and Two straight series now, I have said the Lakers have the two guys that can be the best player in the world on any given night. And to this point, that's carried them through. They put up numbers like that, that nobody's done since Dolph Shays, who not a lot of people have heard of. That's that's going to take you a ways. I think whoever the Lakers end up playing, whether it's the Clippers or the Nuggets, the Lakers certainly have the edge here. I think a lot of people coming into the playoffs would have picked the Clippers, but I think the longer we get into this playoff world, we're seeing that the Lakers have something that the Clippers do not have, and that is a ton of chemistry. When you have two phenomenal players like the Lakers do, and arguably like the Clippers do, what you have to have around them is fantastic key role players. And as we look at that Lakers roster, they're all really old, but they know what they need to do to make LeBron James and Anthony Davis the best players out there. And they do it game in and game out. And I would not be surprised to see this Western Conference Finals series go maybe just five games. And I do think, I've thought this since March when the Lakers and Clippers were playing that final weekend before the shutdown. I thought to myself, the Clippers are the better team. They should be the better team. But when I looked at it, I thought if they play each other, the Lakers are going to win. It's just one of those things that the better team doesn't always win. And I think that's the case with this Clippers team. I mean, I could definitely be wrong and I would not be surprised if I was, but the Clippers haven't shown anything differently now that we're in September. They, they just continue to look like that team where it's like you could be, but you just haven't been yet there. There's that yet. I'm going to, I'm going to leave that there. 
When we look on the Eastern Conference side, we saw a phenomenal series, and that's not my bias coming out. A truly phenomenal series between the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics went to a Game 7. Every game, except for maybe one or two, was a nail-biter, phenomenally played, phenomenally coached. These two coaches, Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens, are, I've said this before and I will say this for quite some time, arguably the two best coaches in the NBA right now. And in the last two games of the series, we saw Nick Nurse going into a box and one with Kimball Walker and really shutting him down from an offensive perspective. And without Gordon Hayward and with Kimball Walker being shut down as much as he was on the offensive end, we really had to see guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Daniel Tice and Marcus Smart really step up for this Boston team. And they did. They showed you why they are a championship perspective team. This Boston team did. And with the Toronto Raptors, Pascal Siakam never really could hit his stride. Kyle Lowry did everything that he possibly could to put this team on his back and just turned out to not be enough. This was probably the best basketball I have seen all season, Bodie. It's what we thought the series would be since we have been wanting this series to happen since last year, I think. I think everybody wanted to see Celtics Raptors play because this is the kind of series you would expect. The Celtics had the best players, and that's really what it came down to. It was even in games that they lost, it seemed like it was easier for them to do good things than it was for the Raptors to do good things. I started doing something in this series that I never really thought about before. There were four four games in this series that could have gone either way. And three games that were clearly the advantage of one team or the other. The Celtics won two of those blowout games, I'll call them. The Raptors won one of them. And in the four 50-50 games, the team split. That's what you expect out of a 50-50 game, is that over the long haul, they're going to split. But the Celtics won those two blowout games, and that's they were the better team. They're going to win those games. The series could have easily been over in five if that, or four, if that inbound in game three doesn't go the way it does. It seems like a completely different series. Somehow the Raptors got this to seven. I I think we'll look back. The Celtics could win the title. And I think when we look back on this, it's like, how did the Raptors do that? How did they do that? It really seemed like a magic trick over and over again. I was like, wait a second, they're only down four, they're up one? That doesn't make any sense from the game I've been watching. I've heard people say that this is a matchup that basketball fans love because these two teams could play 200 games against each other and it would be 100 to 100, 101 to 99. You know, like just such a great just back and forth with these teams. They're relatively well suited to to play each other I, I mean looking at it from a from a player standpoint Boston does have the edge and I think that's what brought them to win this series but man you just really cannot give enough credit to Nick Nurse using a squad that you know was really missing a Kawhi Leonard was really missing a closeout ISO player that you really need at the end of a series. And he's still 
almost won this series. Bodie, when we look at this Eastern Conference Finals, this is the first year that we have not had a number one or a number two seed in the Eastern Conference Finals. We have the number three seed Celtics and the number five Miami Heat. What what should we look for in this series? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I, <laughs> I don't know with this series. It's. It doesn't seem like either team really should be here. It, it seems like the Celtics are just a half step ahead of where they should be, and that the Heat are like a full step ahead of where they should be. But they're here, and that means it's it really is two great organizations who always overachieve. They always overachieve, and when you put those two together you kind of get a series like Celtics Raptors. I think we're going to see another series just like that. If anybody takes control of the series, I think it's Boston because Miami is relying on really good players. I mean, very good players. There just seems like a little bit of a limitation on what some of these players can do. I can see Stevens scheming Bam out of bio out of a game. I can see the Celtics just being like, all right, Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala, you have to beat us over and over again. And the Heat have a few more flaws like that than the Celtics do. But don't count out a Pat Riley-led organization, a Spolstrip coach team, a Jimmy Butler-led team. If it goes less than six it will be surprising. It would be disappointing. As a Boston fan, how do you feel? I feel confident. I feel I'm excited that we are more than likely going to see Gordon Hayward coming back as soon as game two of this series. Is that right? Okay. I hadn't heard. I think that will really be a great release valve. We had seen in this Raptors Celtics series games where no one could hit a shot beyond the three-point line to save their lives. There was one game where the four main three-point shooters had a combined percentage of 17%. That percentage isn't even old enough to vote. That's how bad it is. And Gordon Hayward is not necessarily a three-point shooter, but that mid-range shot that you saw a lot from Kimball Walker in that Raptor Celtics series, that is his bread and butter, is that 20, 25-foot shot is really where he's going to excel and really is going to put a lot of pressure on this Miami Heat team to be great defensively. Um, When we looked at the Heat playing the Bucs, once they shut down Giannis and once Giannis was out of the series altogether, their job was to stop Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez. And... Brooke Lopez can be a little bit of a streaky shooter, and they really didn't do all that great of a job of stopping Chris Middleton. I think he just kind of ran out of gas. So I feel confident that as long as they're excelling on the offensive end, they have the players and the stamina to really pull it off on the defensive end. They haven't really had a guy like Bam Adebayo on the offensive end to really compete with. Even comparing him to Joel Embiid is is a very different ballgame because Joel Embiid doesn't like to play in the low post all that much. 
and Bam Adebayo can really dominate you from within 10 feet. I would be surprised if this went less than six games, but I feel very hopeful as a fan that the Boston Celtics stand a good chance. All right, so our Thanks COVID this week is the most literal Thanks COVID that we have because there's no other way this could have happened but in a world where COVID existed. Rockets player Daniel House Jr. suspiciously disappeared. He wasn't able to play in games three and four of the Rockets' second round series against the Lakers. And all we knew was that there was some kind of investigation. And then before game five, it was announced that bubble protocol had been broken and he would have to leave immediately. But there's an axiom in the NBA that all problems come from women and card games. Now, there was a woman that was in House's hotel room who was a tester of some kind, one of the People testing for the virus, I believe, is what it was. And they could have been playing a card game of some kind. But if they were, it was probably a certain variation of poker. I We don't know what happened in there, but the axiom seems like it continues to hold true. And we've been wondering when something like this would happen, if it would happen. We had Lou Williams doing kind of similar things, maybe outside of the bubble, but this was our first instance of somebody really breaking bubble protocol. And it ended up not being as dramatic because the Rockets lost in five games anyway, but this could have been, this is what teams feared. This, This is really what teams feared would happen, was that a series could swing because a player did something dumb. And now we're at last possession. Saturday marked my 31st birthday. 31 is a weird age. There's not really much to celebrate with a prime number age. A friend texted me and said, now you're just in your 30s. Now, normally we don't equate being 31 with being old. I haven't really started my career yet, No kids yet, don't own a home. But in the NBA, 31 is old. As we look across the rosters, there's just a handful of guys still playing right now in the playoffs that are older than me. Andre Iguodala of the Heat, LeBron James of the Lakers, Paul Millsap of the Nuggets, Jared Dudley, Dwight Howard, J.R. Smith, Rajon Rondo of the Lakers, Goran Dragic of the Heat, Lute Williams of the Clippers, Danny Green and JaVale McGee of the Lakers, Patrick Beverly and Patrick Patterson of the Clippers, Brad Wanamaker of the Celtics, and the Morris Twins, Marcus and Markeef of the Clippers and the Lakers. Those 16 players are it. By the way, happy birthday to Jimmy Butler on Monday the 14th. I beat him by two days. For many of these players, they're headed towards the end of their career. Guys like Andre Iguodala and Dwight Howard have had their ups and downs and are the kind of guys you like to have on your team for moral support. Guys like Goran Dragic and Danny Green are the players you kind of forget are still playing until they have a standout night 
surprising you that they can still pull it off at their age. Guys like Brad Wanamaker and Rajon Rondo have played everywhere, but are critical players off the bench for championship-bound teams. Guys like Patrick Beverly and the Morris Twins are the kind of guys who have made a career out of being a defensive nuisance. And maybe just a nuisance in general. On days like today, as a 31-year-old, I'm grateful that I'm only just getting started. Basket Bubble is hosted by Matthew Moore, that's me, and Bodie, that's him. Thank you, Bodie. Thanks, Matthew. Our theme song is by Bad Snacks. Join us next week as we finally make our way into the conference finals. Stay safe out there, Bubbletonians. We'll see you next week. Thank you.